Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm beverage in hand. Today, we're going to speak with Dr. Alvin Thomas about how we can make the most of our doctor's appointments. Dr. Al is going to introduce himself during the episode, but some of the cool things from his bio that he did not state included the fact that he is a second-generation graduate of the Howard University College of Medicine, following in the footsteps of his father, Alvin Sr. And while he was pursuing his internship, residency, and fellowship at the University of Michigan Medical Center, his tenure was interrupted by two years of military service as he served as captain in the United States Air Force. And Dr. Al had the privilege of serving as the 71st and first Black president of the American College of Chest Physicians. Let's listen to the episode to learn more. Hi, Dr. Al. Thanks for coming to the cafe. Could you please tell the audience a bit about you? Yes, uh, Ms. Nikita. I'm uh, Alvin Thomas and retired physician now. Was in uh, practice of internal medicine, pulmonary, and critical care medicine for 40 years, and 30 of those years I spent as the faculty on a um, Howard University College of Medicine faculty. Wow, Dr. Al, internal medicine, pulmonary medicine, and critical care, three specialties. Can you tell us, in case anyone doesn't know, what those three subspecialties are about and also tell us a bit about what motivated you to choose those to specialize in? Uh, internal medicine is kind of like the foundation. And I chose that because I didn't like surgery and I thought it was challenging. And it, it you know, it basically covers all non-surgical illnesses that a patient can have. Within internal medicine, there are subspecialties. You know, if you see a cardiologist, cardiologists just don't learn about the heart. They wind up being internal medicine doctors first, and then they take training in in heart disease. And so what I did, I chose pulmonary medicine that uh, evaluates and treats lung problems such as um, uh, asthma, obstructive lung disease. We call it COPD. I think you're hearing more about it nowadays. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pulmonary physicians are at the forefront of diagnosing lung cancer. Many times we have to look within people's lungs with help of the x-ray guidance and make biopsies to diagnose lung problems. We treat and evaluate blood clots that go to the lung called pulmonary emboli. And a growing problem is is an illness with multiple causes uh, that causes scarring throughout the lungs. Those are just a few. So basically any problem that relates to the lungs or even indirectly relates to the lungs, I would care for. And of course, uh, critical care medicine uh, we take care of the sickest patients in our hospital, and it's really come to the forefront with COVID, where you know patients who come in the hospital with COVID, they get very sick, short of breath, their lungs start giving them trouble, they need oxygen, and some have to be put on breathing machines. We call them ventilators, and 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 that's the critical care medicine part of it. 
You've got such vast experience. Do you have a favorite among these specialties? I like them all. You like them all. I really do. And as a matter of fact, many people with my choice of, of disciplines will just practice lung and critical care and not do primary care internal medicine. But I made sure uh, everywhere I've been on the faculty, I've been on teaching faculties at the University of Michigan, at the Charles Drew Medical Center in Los Angeles, and at Howard for the last 30 years. Um, part of that, we encourage to have see private patients. Uh, uh, and I've always chosen to have about 30 to 40% of my private patient practice be primary internal medicine, where I'm basically a primary care doc for them. They may not even have uh, lung problems. When you are on faculty, is there a certain split that you have to do? I don't know, X percent in the classroom training residents compared to X percent with patients? How does that work? It's a fairly busy schedule. And the nice thing about it is that it, it varies from day to day. You don't get bored at all. Basically, I was the, the chief of the, the pulmonary critical care division at Howard, and we trained fellows, people who eventually became pulmonary critical care people. So we had fellows, part of our, our training, we give periodic lectures to medical school students in the first and second year, and we have third and fourth year medical students come on patient rounds with us to to see patients. And we also train interns and residents in internal medicine. So it's it's widely varied. I like that. Variety is the spice of life. Yes. What recommendations do you have for how a patient can get the most out of their visit? Yeah, well, one of the main things I recommend to patients who are anticipating any visit with a healthcare provider is to have a list of your concerns prior to the appointment. You should at least one or two days before the appointment, think about it and make a list and then, and very importantly, prioritize the list. The most important things are uh, at the top, and because you're probably not in this modern day of medicine, not going to be able to get through all the questions to, with your first visit. Okay, so by doing the list, it helps us to figure out if we can only get one or two things answered, what are those one or two things that are most important to me? Correct. Okay. Are you and your colleagues impressed when we come with lists? Uh, yes. I, that means the patient's organized, has thought about it ahead of time. There may have been a time years ago that some of us were intimidated by that, but uh, I, I think nowadays the feeling is you're more impressed when you have a patient come to you that well organized. Is that common? Do most patients come with a list? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, most patients wing it when they get there. Now, you know, they have special things in mind and they might mention one or two of those, but too often patients are intimidated by the visit to the care provider, particularly if it's a physician, and they forget some of their most basic questions. Right. That, that's even happened to me when I've gone to see uh, some of my uh a physician 
colleagues for my own evaluation. So it's very important. I think that's so great that you point that out because here you are, a specialist in the field, and you too can forget when you're, you're on the other side of the desk. That's right. Is there something you wish that all patients would ask? Uh, once they give me the list, and after there's been some basic interaction uh, at that visit, to really kind of ask what my preliminary thoughts are. That's interesting. Why what your preliminary thoughts are? Isn't that something that you would have shared as the conversation proceeded? You know, well, Susie, I think you have diabetes, or what, what do you mean? No, usually what we do, we do the evaluation, and then in our minds, as the evaluation takes place, begin to form thoughts in our head about what the issues are. And only at the end, particularly if we're going to do a, if we're going to talk to patients and find out what their clinical history is, and then examine them. And then the important thing is to decide at least the, the most likely, you know, a list of the most likely things that the patient could have, a, a list of about three or four things that we would prioritize from most likely to less likely. And then at that time, I think it's best to give a patient uh, an idea of what we think is, is the most likely problem and then what we're going to do. Now, nowadays in the United States, that's about a 45 to minute to an hour process. Oh, wow. But that's not the time we have. Yes. Many times we see very complex patients and we need more than that. So many times uh, some of the lesser priority items are dealt with at subsequent visits. Right. One of my favorite questions to ask is what caused this? I like yes. that one a lot. Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly the process I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you're having fainting spells or sweats or, or blurred vision, what the most likely cause of those things. And usually what we try to do is to try to figure out if there's one thing that could be causing all these things or if there's multiple. And that all begins to take place at the first visit. But many times require other visits to really, I should say most times, require other visits to more clearly define the clinical problems. I see. Earlier, we mentioned the benefit of writing down your questions ahead of time. Are there any other benefits to being prepared? Uh, mainly trying to be as, for the patient to be as calm as possible. That, that's that's important. And I think having a list helps with that. And if there's somebody that you trust a lot, and it's many times it's a spouse or, or a close relative, bring them with you because that might help you feel more comfortable. A lot of doctors don't actively encourage that, but I think nowadays, more than in the past, uh, people come may may want to come with a patient particularly the spouse, and participate in the process. That, that can vary from patient to patient as well as doctor to doctor. But there's very few doctors that will say, no, you can't have your spouse here with you. It, you know, it, it, and I think that's one of the things that helps the patient, 
calm the patient and hopefully and uh, make the visit a better one. And it's always helpful, uh, by the way, to have somebody with you because sometimes if the problem is a very serious, life-threatening one, many times patients don't hear what the doctors tell them. And it's helpful to have a trusted witness who can help them remember what was said. Yeah, that's a great point because they can also take some notes as well and help you remember once you leave the room and as you're slowly starting to process what you've heard, having that person there can help with that. Correct. Sometimes you go to the doctor and you know you've Something's just not feeling right. You, you, you're pretty certain something is wrong, but you don't feel like you're being heard. You almost feel like you're being dismissed or this, this complaint is not being taken seriously. And so what are some recommendations for what to do when you feel like you're not being heard? Well, again, it's, in that situation, it's really helpful to have a list that you prioritize because you can focus on that. It, it may turn out that as you interact with the physician that what seems to be your greatest concern, the physician starts hearing other things that are a greater concern to them. And it's always helpful to remind the physician that yes, the fact that that you think I may have diabetes is very important, but I have a concern about this pain in my neck that may or may not be related to that. And you and you haven't really focused on that. So uh, I think it's particularly important to that. Again, that's where the, that prioritized list comes in. And and if you think the physician, let's say you get halfway through the uh, what I call the 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 initial, I was going to use interrogation. It's really an interview where you where you start getting patients' history. If 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 the physician gets into the history, maybe five, 10, 15 minutes, and you realize that they're not hearing what you think is most important. I think it's important to be uh, assertive and point that out because sometimes we start thinking our minds start going in a direction because we've heard you say X, but you're worried about Y. And sometimes we can, it's easy for us to not pay close attention to what your primary concern was, even though we've noticed something else that we feel that's of equal or greater concern. That's really helpful. On that note, it sounds like you're saying, okay, well, well, speak up, push, bring it to the front of the agenda. But when you do that, and maybe also when you try, to, when you keep asking questions, you may feel like, oh, I'm being a bother. Is that a concern we should have? Should we be concerned about am I being a bother or not? I think patients do have those concerns. and But I think you have to focus on the fact that you're coming to a care provider is not all nowadays, not always a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant. And you have particular problems that you're concerned about. And it is your problem, it's your body. And I think you have to focus on that. Sometimes, I think too often, 
we get through that process and the patient has not really expressed their major concern. And in that situation, I think it's important if you've gotten through as a patient, if you've gotten through the entire initial visit and you don't feel everything that you feel has been heard or and you want to express it, I think it's really important to interact. If, if we're doing it with an outpatient visit, the office staff afterwards and let them know that, that you have concerns that were not met by the physician and that either you talk to the and the office staff uh, about it or and they'll talk to the physician or it might be something that the office staff is so used to that they can help you feel more comfortable you know by by just uh, talking to them but it is you shouldn't let it let it drop uh, and particularly if, if it's a high priority concern that you have that's brilliant i love that suggestion of the office staff because I suppose you can leave them your list. And at the end of the day, when all the patients are gone, maybe they can go back to the doctor for you and say, Mrs. Smith had a few remaining questions and here they are. And maybe they can call you and give you the answer afterward, right? Yeah, I think that's helpful. You have to be careful about lists that you give and who you give it to. I wouldn't give it to the secretary, but if there's a nurse or a nurse practitioner in the office, I think that would be appropriate. But but certainly, even if it's just a secretary, uh, let them know that you have concerns and that uh, you would like to discuss it additionally with the care provider, or, or at least that uh, let the care provider know that you need to have a, a may, may need a sooner follow-up appointment then was planned so you can discuss some of these other issues. What do you think about switching providers or getting a second opinion? How does one go about that? And should I be concerned about making my main doctor mad? It's a little touchy, but it's not as touchy as it used to be. I think almost all providers, whether you're talking about physicians or or non-physicians, you know, they have certain standards and and they want to most go into this uh, to provide the best care for patients that they can. And, you know, sometimes they can take it personally. Well, she didn't think I'm up to the task. And, but uh, more than ever now, uh, I, I, I think that's accepted more than it used to be. And again, I think you as a patient, you know, need to realize that it's it's your body it's your problems that you have and if they're not being met you know most care providers realize and certainly insurance companies now provide for second and sometimes third opinions so uh, i i think as a patient you just have to overcome whatever anxieties you have about it and whatever interaction a negative interaction it might cause with your provider and really uh, make that change if you think it's appropriate. I personally do feel, though, you need to need to give a provider that you see unless they're really, unless you and them, you, they and you really don't hit it seriously, is to give them a second 
uh, a chance, a, a second visit, so you can express your concerns and so they can better understand what your problem is. Uh, because the time pressure is so great nowadays on seeing patients that sometimes, uh, you know, you're not able to get to know each other and and hear everything that's said either way from the physician here, the patient or the patient here, the physician, where you need a second visit to kind of begin to resolve some of these issues. I think it's best not to switch after the first visit unless you really think you've got an abusive uh, provider or you just don't like them, period. I like that, you know, because we did talk about intimidation earlier. And I think that time, the, the time factor is intimidating, you know, because many times by the time you enter the office before you're properly seated, you're already being ushered out because they need to see the next person. And, and that's right. So you think, oh, no, I haven't gotten everything in. I'm not I'm not ready. I still don't know what's the problem. So. I I think you're right on that one. Maybe come back one or two times, but the need to build rapport with your provider is so important. And, and it's tough to do that with the limited time. Exactly. And and the time issue is a is not as much of a problem with the first visit, particularly if you're seeing a family practitioner, somebody who's providing primary care to trying to evaluate all of your medical problems uh, for the first time, you know, there's usually more time allotted. But, and so time pressure is not as great unless you have 10 things listed that you feel that you need to discuss. But on follow-up visits, uh, time is a real problem. And in some places, certainly in the United States, uh, the physicians are encouraged to take no more than seven to 15 minutes. And if you're in a primary care practice uh, where patients have com- complex problems and they may have four or five problems and each one in its own is complex, it's, that's kind of difficult to adhere to. So, you know, patients as well as providers need to be patient, uh, need to be patient with the process and, and try to make sure that everything is appropriately evaluated, particularly the things that are the most urgent, and then realize that the other issues can be uh, settled with a follow-up appointment at a earlier time than normally would be anticipated. We've spoken a lot about primary care visits. Some people don't see the benefit of having a primary care doctor. Could you tell us the benefits of having one? All patients should have a primary care provider. That's the person who should be looking at all aspects of your health and then within their mind prioritizing these issues. And particularly if referrals to other to specialists take place, many times too often specialists see the problem that they're evaluating as the most important problem, and they don't always put the other issues in perspective, that's where the primary care doc really comes in. Look, Mrs. So-and-so, um, uh, Dr. X might feel that you need uh, surgery f- 
uh, elective surgery for this particular problem, but it's more important that this other problem, your diabetes, get controlled first, and then you can have this, you know, uh, surgery done. Uh, primary care providers really provide that uh, they look at the patient as a whole, as opposed to a patient with a liver, a kidney, a lung, a heart, a joint, etc. And so it's very important to have a physician who can help the patient prioritize these issues. I like that make sense of everything for you because they are looking at your whole body. Uh, recently, I spoke with a nurse in the, in the COVID ward and she described a really crazy experience that they had. But when I listened to her, I, I heard how segmented everything is because uh, there was a woman who gave birth in the ICU. And so, you know, there was the, the obstetrician, concerned primarily about the mom. Then there's the NICU people concerned primarily about the baby. Like everybody had their part of the person that they were focused on, but not the entire <laughs> situation. And that's what the primary care person does. Yeah. Well, that's what the primary care person does as an outpatient is more difficult in a hospital with very acute problems. But I work as, as an intensive care doctor for many years and as a, uh, a ICU specialist, I was the primary care provider in that situation. Me and my team would have to prioritize the various recommendations of the consultant and speak to the family and speak to the patient and put it in perspective. So it's really important to have a provider who is looking at whatever your issues are the entire problem, even, even though uh, many times too often there's individual issues that need to be dealt with uh, separately, but almost always you can prioritize these and the, and the patient will not suffer uh, by that prioritization. You mentioned that primary care providers pull the whole story together. How often do various doctors communicate about a patient or does the patient need to be the one to pull those responses together until they get to their main doctor? That doesn't happen enough nowadays um, that physicians will contact each other verbally and discuss issues. One thing that has helped a lot is the electronic medical record, though, because if that's available, then so many times the issues are in the record and it's easily transferred from one practice site to another. And then if that's available, the whoever's providing the care, let's say it's a specialist who's, who specializes in diabetic care can look at the record and then having a record avail available allows them to have a specific question that they may want to contact uh, the, the, uh, the patient's primary physician about and, and have that answered, or that the primary physician might want to uh, contact a specific specialist and have a specific question that wasn't quite clear in the medical record. 
you know, that's one one of the main reasons, in addition to the availability of technology, that the electronic medical record is so important because it can be transmitted almost anywhere in the world and certainly with, within a country or two. And you can get an idea what the patient's problems are if you take time to read it or have somebody else take time to read it for you and tell you. And so the time issue is less of a problem. And that's the best way to deal with it as opposed to getting on a phone and having a conversation. Uh, I have one one physician uh, that provides care for me that is very, after he has seen you in his office, at the end of the day, before he goes home, he writes his thoughts in the, the summary that goes to the patient. Nowadays, they call it my, my chart or patient portal. And so, you know, those are other ways that physicians can interact with the, each other and patients can interact with physicians, particularly if their physician or other care provider takes time to look at that material. What is it like having a doctor as a patient? Is that a challenge? Because perhaps you come to the appointment and you already have diagnosed yourself? Well, it puts a little, it puts more pressure on the person who's seeing a, a physician patient. And too often the physician patient has felt that they've diagnosed themselves but whatever they've done to try to resolve the problem hadn't been successful. So they're somewhat desperate, but okay. uh, it makes it more important. But, but I find that when I am as, as that, I try my best to act as a patient okay. as opposed to as a doctor to kind of lead the, the physician or who's evaluating me to lead them in a certain direction. And I found it best not to even tell people I'm a physician, but it usually shows up on the record somewhere. Many times they don't discuss it, but but they they know ahead of time. But the important thing is, even when you're a physician who has a, you know, not just a physician patient, but somebody a patient in the medical profession, a nurse or nurse practitioner or a PA come to see you is to not assume that they know everything that you're talking about and use basic, the same basic language and explanation that you would use with a patient who's not involved in the medical field. Uh, that's by far the best way to handle that. And, and most, many physicians that I've run into, they do that and they do it fairly well. Yeah, I think plain language is so key. That's that's funny. I when you were describing it, I thought, oh, it, I wonder if being a physician patient is potentially as challenging for a doctor as when non-physician patients come in with all our Google knowledge and you know, <laughs> look it all up. We know what the problem is, <laughs> and we just need you to write the prescription. Yeah, sometimes it can be challenging, but uh, if if you handle it appropriately, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be. What other tips and tricks do you have, would you recommend for people to make the most out of their appointments? Is be organized. 
develop a relationship with the staff, even before you go in, you begin to develop it. Be assertive when it's on issues that are very important to you. And even if if it's a time-limited visit, you know, discuss the concerns that you have with with the members of the staff so that the uh, care provider knows that, you know, they may have missed some things or the patient may have misunderstood, et cetera, and that there's a, a setup for, and, 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 and most practices have this, they have some kind of uh, setup where you can ultimately interact with the care provider even before you see them the next time. It's not always easy with some uh, specialties, but uh, it, it nowadays that's usually available. And it comes down to the office staff. I, uh, care providers that have a sensitive, caring uh, office staff with good interpersonal skills, uh, they provide overall much better care than, than those who don't because the office staff can turn patients off before they ever get to the, the care provider. That is a fact. <laughs> And it's, it's important to realize that this is your body, that you have concerns about what's going on in your body, and uh, you want to, uh, to make sure that the person you're talking to them to it about, the provider, understands that and understands your priorities. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, if somebody comes to repair your dishwasher, you tell them what the problem is. You you want you want to feel confident that they know what they're doing. Secondly, that they've adequately evaluated multiple things because it may not be just the first thing they think about, but there's other things that can cause this problem, that they've adequately evaluated that. And then, which is very important, that they've, after they've done the, uh, uh, either need your approval to do the repair, or after they've done the repair, that they can explain what was done uh, and why. And that's basically, the process that takes place with medical visits also. Thank you. I love that analogy of the dishwasher. It, it's a great example. I don't know if we all think of it that way, but but maybe we should. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it became to me over the years that, that, that many patients expect less or are less willing to be assertive with people in the health field than with repair people who come to their house to resolve uh, problems. They don't look at it the same way. The process is the same. You've got a client that's not working and you want it to work and you want, you know, you, you want the best person uh, you can get to come evaluate it, but you want them to interact with you and tell you what the problem was. Yeah, the process is the same, but I think the power dynamic is different. 
Oh, it's far different. Yeah. But you have to, if you don't think of your body in that way, if you don't think of yourself in that way, then you will be intimidated and you won't ask the appropriate questions of the provider and you therefore won't get the feedback from the from the provider that you want. And, uh, and that happens a lot. I mean, the things we've talked about, they're, 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 they're serious, they're real serious issues. And, you know, patients uh, need to start thinking of it similar to that, because otherwise, they're not going to be assertive enough. They're going to, they're going to be intimidated by this person in the white coat that's sitting behind the desk or who's examining them and and making recommendations. And, you know, many times a physician feels that intimidation. And and many times we can overcome it, at least with a a couple visits and maybe even the first visit and help patients feel more comfortable by, by really pointing out that we realize that they may be very concerned about X, Y, and Z. I've noticed you have X, Y, and Z. And you didn't mention it. And I realized that, you know, this may be a little anxiety. This, this uh, visit can, is a, can be anxiety uh, producing. Uh, but, you know, you have such and such a problem that needs an evaluation. And your other issues we can deal with uh, with a more accelerated follow-up appointment, you know, something like that. Thank you. I love how you summarize that. So we should be prepared, not be intimidated, and recognize that it's our body. What a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much for coming to the cafe. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Nikita. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. I trust that you've learned a few tips to help you the next time that you go to the doctor. Be sure to make that list and prioritize it. Also, check out our website for more information on note-taking at thegoodhealthcafe.com. If you haven't already, please also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you in the cafe soon. Bye!